We're looking at 1 Timothy chapter 3, uh, verses 1 through 7. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. Let's give our attentive listening, uh, for this is God's word. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive, For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders, so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Uh, We ask that uh, you would teach us your word yourself through your spirit, uh, speaking to our hearts and our minds, um, so that it would not only impact the way we think and feel, but also the way we live. Um, So give us eyes to see and ears to hear. Um, Be with us and, and guide us into your truth, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we, we just embarked on this uh, new series uh, last week, starting last week, In Pursuit of a Healthy Church, right? And last week, we looked at um, how Jesus prays for the church. And that's so important because through Jesus' prayer for the church, you, you learn what his desire for the church is, what um, his will for the church is, right? And what we're going to look at today and next week uh, are the offices of the church that Jesus also instituted for us. Um, So that for us, there is something guiding us in between the age of the apostles and Jesus' second coming. Um, This is his means of governing his people on earth who fall under his headship, his kingship. It's through these offices of the church. And, And we see in the New Testament as the church was growing and their needs were growing, um, this governing structure takes more and more of a mature form. And the apostles then begin to really articulate for all the churches everywhere um, how it should take the same form um, of government in every visible church. So as a church grows, they must adopt these healthy structures that God has put in place so that they can continue to grow in a healthy way. And and, and this is a very important step for um, our church's stage of development as well, as, well, as we've been growing. Uh, we've, we've been growing from meeting in a tiny children's chapel over there to meeting at the cafe area over there, now with two separate services, one in earlier, we had one earlier this morning and, and this service. And as our size grows, our needs grow, and, and the need for structure uh, is present now. And we need these structures so that we have sort of something like a trellis that, that keeps the plant growing in a upward trajectory, in a healthy um, trajectory. And we're going to need to pay attention to both, as we saw uh, in our confession, um, the physical material needs of the church as well as the, the spiritual uh, needs of the church as well. So we really need to begin to consider these biblical offices. 
And as you do that, you also need to consider the qualifications of people who serve in these offices. Right? So we're going to take the next few weeks to look at these offices of the church we find in the New Testament and, and, and look at the qualifications of people who fill these offices. Now, the New Testament gives us two and only two offices of elders and deacons. And here, immediately, you're getting something distinctive about our denomination, uh, the PCA, Presbyterian Church in America. We affirm only two church offices of the elders and deacons. And the reason is because we believe that's what the Bible instructs us. Um, they're no longer the office of the apostles, for example. Uh, why? Well, if there were, what, whatever they teach us, since they're apostles, must become scripture. Because apostles wrote the scriptures. But we understand scripture to be closed now. The canon is closed. And so the extraordinary office of the apostles with their extraordinary gifts are no longer with us. We have their teachings um, canonized in scripture. So in between the age of the apostles and Jesus' second coming, we have elders and uh, deacons. Uh, we see here in 1 Timothy 3, those two offices, and next week we'll look at deacons. Philippians also mentions elders and deacons. Uh, overseers is another word. And we, when we look at the Bible, we do find that these words are interchangeable. Um, overseers, elders. In Acts chapter 20, there's even a third word, um, the pastors. So you have the, the Greek word episkopos for overseers or uh, governors or something like that. And you have the word um, uh, presbyteros, which is elder or presbyter. And then you have poimon, which is shepherd or pastor. Some people will look at these words and say, well, since these are three distinct words, we should have three different offices. There should be bishops or priests, and then there should be pastors or shepherds or be elders. Well, if you look at the scriptures in context, they are used interchangeably. So, for example, in Acts chapter 20, it says, the elders, presbyteros, are to shepherd the flock, poimon, as their overseers, episcopos. Uh, th there's no way you can separate these three offices because according to that verse, they're all pointing to the same office and the same function. Okay? The elders are to shepherd the people as their overseers. Peter also uses overseer and shepherd in the same way, interchangeably. Overseers are to shepherd God's people. Elders are to pastor God's people. So um, that's the view of the PCA. Uh, we don't separate them into different offices because we don't want to create a hierarchy where Scripture is not creating a hierarchy. Right. Um, now, as we will see throughout the series, the elders, overseers, Pastors do play a, a, a distinct function from deacons, as we saw in Acts chapter 6 earlier uh, in the confession. Um, but elders, overseers, pastors are the same. Today, that's what we're focusing on, the office of the elders, presbyteros, elders or pastors. Um, now, before um, we dive in, there's, there's a danger here in drifting off into the this doesn't have anything to do with me zone because some of you might be thinking, if not most of you might be thinking, I will never be an elder or, or deacon in the church or deaconess in the church, so this doesn't pertain to me. 
So I'm going to mentally check out the next couple of weeks. <laughs> There's a temptation to feel that way. Um, but I want to encourage you to right, slow down and consider two things. Right? Uh, for one, you never know. <laughs> you, you never know uh, whether you'll be called to one of these offices or not. I had one point in my life vowed I will never enter pastoral ministry. And I think I told even Lynn, my wife, at one point, I'm never going to be a pastor in Atlanta. <laughs> um, but here I am and really enjoying what I'm doing. Um, so don't be so quick to dismiss the possibility that you could be called to this. Right? So you want to learn about the qualifications of this and aspires towards this. Second, even if you'll never be called to it, and, and yes, only some are called to this. Um, you as members of the church, for those of you who are members of our church, must take part in nominating and ultimately voting for these elders and deacons who will care for your spiritual, physical needs. Uh, the process is the members nominate someone. Uh, the pastors then train them. And if they successfully complete their training, they then recommend them to the congregation to be voted on, and the congregation will finally vote for them and install them into office. So you are, as members, at the beginning of the process and at the end of the process, you're a vital part of this process of electing elders and deacons, and so you must know what these qualifications are. So you put qualified people in office for the health of the church. Now, um, of course, I was here before you were, I I don't mean I was born before, (laughs) I'm not that old. I mean, I was here at NCA before you were here, and, and I was called to, gather the initial core group so I wasn't elected but the point of calling me here was to bring us to this point hopefully right with that core group right uh, that's that's you you stuck around long enough for some reason uh, and and now to get to the point where you elect our next elders and, and deacons and our next officers right? I'm, I'm so thankful that we've we've come to this point um, so it's vital for you as members of NCA to understand the biblical qualifications of uh, these officers and eventually exercise, I think, one of the greatest privileges of being a member of the church, nominating and voting in um, officers of the church. All right, let's look at the text and look at, uh, more specifically, at the office of the elders. Verse 1, the saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Okay, uh, in God's eyes, the office of the elder, the overseer, is a noble task, meaning it is beautiful and it is good. And I want to pause there too because um, you, some of you may already feel another objection sort of bubbling up from the depths of your soul. Uh, because many of us have seen men um, who serve in the office of the other, who are not at all noble. We have no shortage of stories uh, uh, about pastors, elders, who have fallen far, far from, from moral integrity, right? And, and many of us have personal experiences with um, pastors who are not only not noble and beautiful and good, but rather abusive um, and hurtful. So this will naturally be difficult, right, to, to process. Plus, 
we do live in a culture that's very anti-authoritarian in that um, we, as a culture, prefer autonomy, uh, individual freedom to do as we wish. Um, we, we don't like being overseen by, a, by an overseer, uh, being corrected, uh, being told what's right and wrong for our own lives. That's not the cultural anthem, right? What is our cultural anthem? Um, I'm going to use this illustration one last time, and I'm retiring this for good, I promise. It's time to see what I can do to test the limits and break through. No right, no wrong, no rules for me. I'm free. From the amazing, incredible, critically acclaimed Frozen. And you know the rest, right? So let it all go. No right, no wrong, no rules for me. I'm free. Uh, if anything, that's our cultural anthem, right? We don't welcome authority. Some of that's based on bad experience with authority, understandably, right? So we would be reluctant to accept authority. On the other hand, it's also just based on personal preference. I want to live how I want to live. All that to say, this is very countercultural, isn't it? But then, if you think about it, so is following Jesus. Uh, to, to call this person your master, your commander, to say that my body is not my own, my soul is not my own, but I belong body and soul to my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, that already is very countercultural, isn't it? So I want to leave us, the church, um, with this encouragement as we study the rest of this passage, this series. Let's begin to establish, in our minds at least, Clearly, the kind of people that our Lord Christ had intended for us to be our overseers and begin to, or as we look carefully at their qualification, begin to detach, detach Christ's goodwill for you, the church, detach that from bad intentions of man. I think we're capable of doing that rationally. Um, holding on to the nobility of the office while rejecting the abuse of the office. Um, at, the, at the women's book discussion yesterday, one of the points that I really appreciated from the author uh, was her insight about how her experience with her earthly father um, and all of his inadequacies, um, how that led her to view her heavenly father as inadequate. And over time, affecting her view of Scripture as well. Scripture as not something that's sufficient for her, something that cannot replenish her, cannot restore her. And so she begins to reform her understanding of her heavenly father. How? By going to his word, um, by re-engaging with God on his terms, not on the terms of her experience. And I just found that to be incredibly insightful and mature of her. Uh, to do. And, and, and in a sense, what I'm asking of us is to take a page out of our, literally take a page out of our book and do something similar here. Uh, let's look to God's word and see how he is calling us to, to reestablish, institute, and trust in the noble office of the elder while disengaging, detaching from that, um, how people have abused and corrupted 
what God had given us. All right. Verse 2, therefore, therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. Now notice something here immediately. Notice that these are the qualities that should and does apply to all believers in general. These are for the most part, most describing characteristics of a mature believer and follower of Christ, right? For both men and women, with a couple exceptions. The husband of one wife, able to teach. Uh, the Bible does not say that every, every person has to get married. Uh, the Bible does not say that every man has to be a husband. The Bible does not say every believer has to be gifted teachers, able to teach. And in this case, teaching in the public setting of worship. Right? These are unique to the office of the elder. On top of all the characteristic traits, noble characteristics that we all should imitate and uh, display in our lives, their additional qualities are unique to the office of the elder. So let's talk about able to teach first, okay? Um, this qualification uh, is not something required of deacons. It's specific to elders. And what it means is that elders must know how to handle Scripture. Um, they must know how to counsel from Scripture. They must know their theology, systematic theology, know their doctrines, know how to discern what aligns with Scripture, what does not align with Scripture, and keep those things out of the church and out of the context of public worship. Guard, safeguard the people of God, um, keep them in sound doctrine, and communicating scriptural teaching in an effective way uh, to the people. Uh, like as we read uh, earlier in 1 Corinthians 14, like when we come together to sing hymns, for example, it must be done in order to build us up in God's truth and not leave what's being sung or whatever is being done in public worship to, to casual standards, uh, to personal preferences, but to biblical standards according to God's word because uh, God is not a God of confusion and he says that we are to do all things in decent and orderly manner. Well, how do we do that? Well, as we strive to obey God's word. Uh, so that falls under the ministry of the word. And so elders have, one of the primary responsibilities of the elders is to guide the church in how to worship, what to do in worship, and how to worship. Uh, so the ministry of the word is absolutely vital uh, for the office of the elder. Um, Edmund Clowney, he's a theologian, and he, he wrote this, quote, in every task of the church, the ministry of the word is central. It is the word of God that calls us to worship, addresses us in worship, teaches us how to worship, and enables us to praise God and to encourage one another. By the word, we're given life and nurtured to maturity in Christ. The word is the sword of the spirit to correct us and the bread of the spirit to feed us. In the mission of the church, it is the word of God that calls the nations to the Lord. In the teaching of the word, we make disciples of the nations. The growth of the church is the growth of the word. Where there is a famine of the word, no expertise in business administration or group dynamics will build Christ's church. Okay? You can have an uh, organizationally, structurally, corporately very capable church, but if the ministry of the word is not there, it's not Christ's church. 
So the ministry of the word is absolutely essential. So um, the church, therefore, must have elders who are able to, first, they must be trained in the word and, and be able to teach the word effectively to the church. And, and that's often where seminaries come in today, right? Seminary training. Um, must all elders attend seminary? No. Uh, generally, yes. Absolutely no. Um, one reason is because there are elders who are less focused on teaching but more focused on governing, overseeing, ruling matters of the church. Um, Paul says this later on in 1 Timothy 5, let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. So he, he here does make a distinction even within the office of the elders, those who labor in preaching and teaching more and others who do more of the governing and ruling um, in the church. Um, he also identifies that because for those who are especially laboring in preaching and teaching, because that tends to be a full-time job to provide for them. So here's what this looks like in, in the PCA, in our denomination. Uh, we have elders at our church, and we have deacons, and of the elders, we have two kinds, ruling elders and teaching elders. Okay. Um, and teaching elders are those who are more focused on the role of preaching and teaching God's word. And ruling elders are a bit more focused on ruling. Now, do they overlap? Absolutely. Right? There are uh, ruling elders who often teach, teaching elders who often rule, but they work together, and it's one office of the elder. And within that, they have different gifts, strengths that they exercise. But 1 Timothy 3 applies to that one office they should be of such character and such quality. Uh, in Korean, since we're, we have a neighboring Korean congregation, ruling elders are changlo, teaching elders are moksa. Um, in sort of a typical Korean traditional church, actually this might be true in a lot of different churches, uh, ruling elders are considered to be one tier lower than teaching elders. So, so, so teaching elders have authority over them that is not the PCA structure. Um, in the PCA, all elders are of equal authority. Uh, all elders have one vote in the session. The senior pastor has one vote. The ruling elders, Changronims, they have, they have one vote. Um, and they all must adhere to the same standards. Right? So they're one office of elders, each with their own strengths, uh, whether that's teaching or ruling, uh, pastoring or governing but they are subject to these standards, okay? Um, they must share all these traits of being above reproach, husband of one wife, by the way, which doesn't mean uh, they must be married or only married once. Uh, you could have a pastor whose wife passes away and gets remarried, um, or, or you could have a pastor who's called to be celibate. Uh, the principle here is faithfulness. The biblical principle here is faithfulness, not being given to sexual immorality, which was quite rampant during their culture. Um, someone who's known for um, fidelity, for purity, for integrity, and faithfulness. So either someone who's married and who is a one-woman man or someone who is celibate and remaining faithful as someone who is celibate. So able to teach, okay. Second, a husband of one wife. Yes, uh, elders are to be men. Uh we're going to get to the roles of women in the church and in our, later in our series, look at how women in the early church took 
absolutely vital and active role uh, in the church in serving as uh, deaconesses, uh, working alongside ordained deacons, uh, as missionaries, church planters, uh, counselors of women and children ministering to them. Um, they were vital, even at times used by God in revealing things that, should be, that, w- that have been contained in Scripture. Right. Tools for special revelation. Um, women play an absolutely vital role in the church. At the same time, Scripture is also clear when it comes to the office of the elder. Uh, that, is, that is restricted to certain men, not all men, certain men of certain qualities and qualifications. And it, it's for these male elders to be responsible and held accountable for regulating, safeguarding, um, peace and purity of the church. So, although we do acknowledge, right, uh, that there are uh, other denominations out there uh, who have women elders, and we consider them to be, many of them to be our, our very own brothers and sisters in Christ, we simply disagree on this matter. Um, we disagree with how they interpret this part of Scripture, uh, the parts of the Scripture that says, the office of elder is to be uh, confined to men, the way they often read those passages is that's particular to that cultural context. And we don't think that's the best interpretive method of Scripture, that there are things that were simply apply in, uh, confined to their cultural context and for our cultural context that somehow expired. Um, unless Scripture itself says something's expired, we don't consider it. We don't put an expiration date on anything in the Bible unless the Bible does. Um, so that's a disagreement that we have respectfully. Uh, and, and we don't want to treat something that Scripture treats as normative as something that's just situational. Okay, We'll get into this more. Um, for now, elders are husbands of one wife, faithful men, either married or celibate. Let me add some additional commentary to this that I think is important. Um, for one, understand this too. Uh, these male elders are to be the ones that you yourselves, sisters, you yourselves vote into the office. Uh, these ought to be men that you know, you trust, you've examined and elect into office, that you nominate and elect into office. Your membership at any given church is, is likewise voluntary, right? Um, you, can't, you can't be forced into submission at any church. Uh, your submission is your conscientious decision. It's your choice. Second, you also need to know that you only need to submit to the elders of your church, not to all elders, all pastors, in all places, in all times. No. Uh, you're not obligated to that, but you're, you are obligated to uh, the elders of your visible church where you hold membership. And, very important, the Bible does not charge you, anyone, to submit to the opinion or even the authority of a single elder, but to a group of elders, plural. Um, whenever the Bible talks about election of elders, it talks about elders in plural. And that's how churches establish their offices. 
with a plurality of, of elders. Uh, so, for example, it's to the extent that what I say to you is consistent with and unified with what the rest of the elders of NCA will say and teach and think and subscribe to. That's the, that's the extent to which you should submit to what I'm saying. But it's not because of your submission to one man. You should never submit to one man. Uh, if you find yourself ever at a church where they teach you there's this special authority, official authority resting in one man, don't walk, run, <laughs> because that is a unhealthy, unbiblical, and potentially very dangerous structure. All right? So I want to leave you with those cautionary notes as well. Like I said, we're going to look at more, more passages to talk about women and men in ministry. Um, and we're going to see women are absolutely vital in the life of the church. For today, let's focus on this text and see, yes, as, as far as elders of your local church is concerned, they are to be faithful men, husband of one wife. Not all men. Some men of these characteristics, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome or argumentative, not a lover of money. Okay. And if even one of these things are blatantly missing or contradicted, uh, they should be removed from office and disciplined. And here's the thing, guys, even if we fail, even if we fail to hold men accountable who are failing in the office of the elder, God says he will not. God says he's going to hold teachers to an even higher standard on the day of judgment. So I think these passages that talk about men in the office of elders, I don't, I don't really think the emphasis is, um, you know, sisters, please sit down. It's men, you better, you better stand up and, and act like these, these men who are of noble character. Because you'll be held account to a higher standard, much higher standard. And that's a, that's a fearful thing. All right. Uh, Paul goes on to say in verse 4 and 5, He, the elder, must manage his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? All right, so here the Apostle Paul is highlighting another important aspect about the, the office of the elder, and that is the role of managing or governing the household of God. And if they can't manage their own household well, he says, how can they manage uh, the household of God, which consists of more members and sometimes more complex sets of issues. Right? So he does point us to this relationship between the elder and his family, his children, and he's drawing some parallels uh, there. So if his management of his household is, is poor, um, he's just short-tempered with his children. He's, he's domineering. He's very performance-oriented, outcome-oriented. Is that going to be reflected in his management style of the church? Absolutely. <laughs> so uh, make sure that one is managed well because um, that's a good tell for, for how the other will be managed too. And then you can further divide this into two aspects to kind of deepen the application. One is more managerial in the relational sense, and the other is managerial more in the decisional or, or big picture sense. So you know, whether his children are submissive, that's more relational. Uh, this doesn't necessarily mean, right, the more children someone has, the more qualified they are to be elders, the more trustworthy they are. Um, or if you don't have children, you can't be elders. This doesn't mean that. This principally is about leadership. 
good leadership qualities uh, in the man. Um, if you were identifying a candidate, it ought to be someone who does have a track record of leading a group of willing followers. Willing followers who, who, who are not just willing, but who mature and grow as a result of following. Nobody can have everyone liking them and following them. Right? Jesus didn't have that. Um, but when it comes to the elders, there should be some who follow, some who willingly submit, some who are positively affected by their following this person. Um, you should be able to identify that as you try to identify candidates for elders. And then, that's the more relational, on the more decisional and big picture sense, it's similar to how a father or a husband would go about managing household matters and lead the discussion in big decisions like, hey, are we ready to buy a house? Uh, where should we buy the house? Um, how's the school district? Uh, what will we instill in our children in terms of their values? Um, what are our family values and et cetera? So elders are likewise those who are charged with um, discerning these big picture decisions and um, um, yeah, making more broadly impactful uh, decisions that impact the whole church, which the church has entrusted them to make. So as Ephesians 4 says, the saints are to be equipped to fulfill their own ministry in their respective areas as uh, elders, pastors, are to manage the larger affairs of uh, the whole church, along with the labors of the deacons. Um, and then Paul says in verse 6, he also must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. So this seems to be a, a cautionary note against pridefulness or arrogance uh, in the elder. Someone who has not been tested sufficiently in their faith, they should not become an elder. Um, people who have not gone through various seasons of life, ups and downs, and have put their faith to the test. Um, being puffed up usually refers to intellectual pride, so it's got to be someone who's not all about arguing theology day and night, um, who's not too argumentative or quarrelsome, as it says earlier. Uh, those men should not be uh, elders. Uh, verse 7 also says, Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. Okay, uh, Christians do have a public reputation, don't they? Right? And what, what Paul is saying is there's often truth in their perceptions. Well, you can't simply be like, well, I don't care what the world thinks. No, you should care somewhat what they think. Um, they're observing you, and they're like, that does not look like Jesus. Right. And, and that person is not living the life that I think I, I can see Jesus live. Right. Um, so elder candidates are not to be people who give people re, uh, outsiders reason to say, oh, you're clearly a hypocrite. Um, but rather reasons to say, hey, I'm not a Christian. I, even be, I, I may even be a, a anti-Christianity, but, but you are showing me that not all Christians are the same, and I appreciate you. I respect you. Um, that glorifies God, and, and, and that's a character trait you should look for in your elders. All right, that's it. Let me just close with this. Let me just close with a few um, items for follow-through, taking all this into account. Here's how I want you to follow through with this. Uh, first, please take what you learned today and channel them towards prayer. Please pray for your elders. Please pray for me, pray for Pastor Kevin, pray for our senior pastor, all our assistant pastors and ruling elders so that we will be such men 
and we will grow to resemble these qualities more and more. Because we're not immune to sin. We're not immune to temptation. We're not immune to corruption, right? Are you praying for us? Are you praying that we'll be protected spiritually? Are you praying that we'll be protected physically? Please pray for the office of the elders. Um, Second, brothers, it says it's a noble thing to aspire to this. Um, So sisters, encourage your brothers, encourage your husbands to aspire to this noble task because maybe some of you will one day be called to this, whether to the office of the elder or deacons. But even if you're not, uh, know that these are qualities that God wants all of his people, men and women, to display. So let's aspire to this all together on the character level. Uh, third, and lastly, uh, remember why we're doing this. Right? Uh, we're learning all this and uh, trying to apply this to our church, ultimately because Jesus Christ is the head and king of the church, and this is his church. And he's instituted these offices for our sake, for our benefit. Um, 1 Peter 5 says, Christ is the chief shepherd, the chief pastor. He's our senior pastor uh, over you and over me. This is about submitting to him, not to any man. Don't submit to any man. Submit to Christ and pursue what he has put in place for you. The, the hows, the, the what and the whos, he's put in place for you and pursue that for the sake of not only your health, but the health of uh, the church. So that through all these means and all these offices, um, you benefit from what he's instituted for you. You enjoy his goodwill in your life and you remain under his loving care. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for giving us your word and giving us instructions as to how to go about this life full of sin and brokenness, um, how we can, with hope, pursue noble things. God, would you uh, encourage all of us all of us to, to hope in you, to be greater than our past, greater than our experiences, greater than even our pains, our wounds. Lord, uh, you are greater than all these things. You are bigger than our pain. You're bigger than our cynicism. You're, you're bigger um, than our critical spirit. Help us to put our trust in you, God, and follow you uh, in the path that you lead us. And Lord, continue to shepherd us as our chief shepherd. Um, Let your sheep not go astray. Do not lose a single one of them and keep them uh, in your fold and in your care. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.